Morning, Grace. Happy Father's Day. Oh, same to me. Yeah, that's cool. Thank you. Um, I was joking with people out in the foyer. I saw how many boxes of donuts were out there for the dads, and I was, I was kind of like, so that means I can have four donuts, right? And they're like, no, it's just one. I was like, oh, man. This is, someone reminded me that Mike Blasso had seven kids. It's like he would just, yeah, it's over half a box right there. And then it's like, guys, we're competitive, right? So, like, anyone can top seven? Mike, you're the winner. Good job. Round of applause. You survived. Seven kids. Woo! Good job, Mike. White hair, everything. Survived it. All right. You're, like, not sure if you want to clap, but you did anyway. Good. Um, yeah, so my name is Pastor Dan. I'm the youth pastor here, and I'm excited um, for a couple things. But first, I want to share something you, that I'm proud about. Yeah, I'm proud to be a dad, but I have to get on this little soapbox for a bit. I am really proud of our, our youth group teens, and I want to share why. Is because these last couple weeks, we have been learning about Nehemiah. We've been going through the book of Nehemiah, learning about his life, and we've been learning that Nehemiah is here for more. He believed that he was here for more. He was a cupbearer to the king, and he had a cushy government job with a pension and all of these benefits, and he said, no, it's not enough. I want to I be here for more. I believe God has me here for more. And so God placed within his heart to go back to Jerusalem and help rebuild a wall. And we don't really think a wall is a big deal, but it was a big deal for Jerusalem to the point where he went back, built the wall with the team of people, and in 52 days, 52 days, built this ginormous, safe, protective wall for Jerusalem. And in so doing, they were able to have a revival and able to have joy and able to worship again. And uh, we've been learning about Nehemiah and just these different aspects from him and his life. And I was like, what if we did something? We're, our faith led us to action. And so I was like, let's, let's, let's see if we can have like a work day, a serve day, where we can come around people that might need some help around their property, maybe something we can do and just encourage them. And our team showed up, and we had a great time going to two people's homes from within our church and just helping with some stuff around the property. And they did such a great job, just serving and just realizing that they were here for more. And so I just love sharing about our teens, but I'm also, I'm really excited because on July 13th, we have over 10 students that are graduating from sixth grade, going into seventh grade, and then they're going to be coming into youth group on July 13th. Whoa! I am, I am stoked about that. And if you're a sixth grader in here, I am excited for you. The parents are always like, are you ready for this? <laughs> it's like, I've been doing this for five or six years now. It's like, you're never ready, right? It's just, you're never ready. But at the same time, they're not ready for me either. <laughs> they're just not. Um, but then also today, I was thinking, I was like, I am honored um, to just be able to be here with you, um, to be able to share God's word with you today. And so with that, let's go to the Lord in prayer and humble thanks for this time we have together. Heavenly Father, Lord of heaven and earth, Lord, you are so holy and righteous and good and loving, caring and compassionate towards us. There's no lie within you or your word. And Lord, I just want to thank you for this opportunity that we have to freely open your word together. I pray that it would be a blessed time as we read it, as we learn from it, as we study it. But I also pray that you would make us successful in the practicing and the applying of it. And I pray all this in your, your son's name, Jesus, Lord. Amen. Well, if you were with us last week, I just want to do a quick recap. Pastor Dave kicked off our new series in the book of James. 
and it's called Everyday Faith. It's just this theme that we're running with here in the book of James. And so if you'd like to, I would encourage you to first go to James chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 5 through 8. You can find that in your pew Bible at page 1011. So if you want to go there and turn there. But before I really get into reading it and sharing it, I want us to think about this scenario. And I want, to think, I want you to think about how you would respond to this scenario. Someone comes up to you, a friend of yours, okay, comes up to you, and they hand you a map, okay? None of us know how to use maps anymore because we have GPS, but they hand you an old-fashioned map, and on that map, there is a big red X. Oh, yeah, someone's excited, right? And they say, I have a treasure for you. Here's the map, and here's the key. All you need is right there, the map and the key. You just have to go find it. How many of you are dropping everything that you had going on that day to go find it? A few of you. There's skeptics in here. In youth group, I have a ton of skeptics. They're like, well, what kind of friend is it? <laughs> right? Is there a treasure chest of scorpions? You know, and they bring up all these hypothetical situations. Like, no, this friend is rich. This friend is benevolent. He is kind, and he's generous. Would you take that trip? Would you go for that treasure hunt? I see the hands. I'm going. Right. There's something in us that just craves treasure, that, tr that craves wealth, duh, um, but that also craves the search, the find. Well, today in James, we are going to see that he gives us two keys to unlocking the treasure of wisdom. So let's go. Let's find this treasure. Let's look what it says. And I'm going to start in verse 2 just to give you the context, but we're going to go to verse 8. And he says this, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts it's like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, I had to read all that because I really feel like it helps understand the breadth of what's going on in verses 5 through 8. But in this portion, we see four real imperatives. And what's really cool about James is James gives 50, over 50 imperatives, commands, not suggestions, commands for us within five chapters. It's a lot. And so in these, we see count it all joy, talking about trials, having that attitude to know that trials are here for a purpose, for a reason, and to let those trials strengthen us. But then this last one, which we're going to focus on today, is that we can ask. We can ask for wisdom. We're told to ask. James 1.5, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach. So that first key that we're going to talk about today is this, is pray to God for wisdom with your Bible open. Pray to God for wisdom with your Bible open. And so the first thing we see here is the prayer of wisdom. Now something we need to know about James and that we learned about James is that James is the brother of Jesus and James is also the the, the pastor of the church of Jerusalem, and that they're going through this trial right now. But what else we know about James is that Warren Wiersbe, in his commentary on James, said that James prayed a lot. 
It's actually to the point where local historians have this tradition that they, they hold to that James prayed so much that his knees were as callous as camel's knees. Now, I don't know how many of you have seen camel's knees. They're kind of callous. Kinda, if you were to draw a picture, you know they're really skinny like legs and then all of a sudden knob of a knee. And like, if you see them get up and down, you understand why. We don't really see camels walking around as much anymore. But I think if you Google it, you can figure it out. But he prayed a lot. He knew the power of prayer. He knew it was important. And I always think maybe he learned this from Jesus before he was a believer. When Matthew 7, verse 7, chapter 7, verse 7 through 8, it says this, and this is Jesus speaking, talking about prayer. He says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and to the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now we hear that and we go, okay, for reals? How does this work? If I'm going to pray about my trials, why not just pray, you know, for strength, you know, or, or this? Why not just pray that I get delivered, right? That the trials just go away. Why do I have to pray for wisdom? And it's because of this one thing that we need to grapple with and own is this, is that wisdom is God's gift for us. It's for us to become spiritually mature. Wisdom is God's gift for us to become spiritually mature. Because we need to see the heart of God in, in this when James is saying pray for wisdom. We need to see that God loves to give us what we lack, to provide what we need, and does so that we can thrive through the trial, okay? not just survive the trial. There's a difference in goals here. See, our goal when it comes to a trial is what? To put it in the past, right? I just need to get by. I just need it to be over and I can forget about it. God's goal in a trial is very different. His goal is that we would actually grow and thrive through the trial. That we would actually look to the future and see what God is doing in our life and remember that he has a plan and a purpose. That's God's goal for our lives and through the trial, and one that's important for us to keep in front of us. This is the confidence that we can have as followers of Jesus, that God's promises for us are good, and that his plan is perfect, and that his purpose for our life is beyond what we can fathom. And now if you're here today and you have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then you are missing out on this gift. You are missing out on these promises. You are missing out on the ability to be able to go through trials and thrive. You're doing it alone. But that can all change today. What we know about God's word, that can change right now. Just hear these verses from Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 4 through 5 say, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. So hear the heart of God. Because of his great love, which he has towards us, 
even in our sin, even though we were dead spiritually, he gave us the opportunity in Jesus Christ to give us grace, something we did not deserve, so that we could accept in faith Jesus Christ, the payment that he made on the cross. And he made it so easy. He made finding this treasure so easy. It's really just these three things. It's admitting that we have a sin problem, that that sin separates us from God and causes us to die and be eternally separated from him. To be robbed of the opportunity to thrive in trials. To be robbed of the blessings that God has intended for us. That's what sin does. Admit we have a sin problem. Then we need to believe in Jesus, that he is the only one who paid for our sins, that he is God. But then also to call on him and to make him Lord of our life, to ask him to forgive us our sins and to save us. That is what faith is. It's not by any works that we can do. It is by faith. It is accepting that gift and receiving it. And what I love about this is you can do this anytime, but I would encourage you not to wait because none of us are promised tomorrow. But then there's also this concept and this idea that we see in Scripture is that God wants to start working in our lives sooner than later. Because we were reading in Ephesians chapter 2, and we finished up in verse 9. Look at verse 10. It says, for we are his workmanship. I'm a little bit of a carpenter, and I like to build things and create things and craft things, and this resonates with me. I put time, effort, sweat, and tears into stuff that I create and, and enjoyment in it. And we are his workmanship, meaning we are his masterpiece. This is something that he wants to work in us. And look what it says, created in Jesus Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, I just think this is absolutely amazing because the God of the universe wants to take what was sinful and broken and dead, and he wants to make it so that it can actually accomplish something good. He wants to make us into his children so that we can receive that free gift, not just of eternal life, but that we can be a part of what he's doing in our lives. He wants to work in us so we can be his workmanship, able to receive the treasure of his wisdom. See, now that we understand what salvation is and how we receive it, we will actually see that it's actually quite similar to how we receive wisdom. Because we need to, when we're going through trial and when we need wisdom, we need to admit This trial is bigger than we can handle if we want to receive God's wisdom. We have to admit that. Then we have to believe that God's wisdom is something worth asking for. We actually have to believe that it's a treasure worth seeking. But then we have to call on him. James says, call. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask. He says, pray and ask. What I love about this is James doesn't say, hey, you have to be a really smart person to have wisdom. He says, if anyone lacks wisdom, it's not you have to have a 4.0, you have to have a degree, you have to be well-educated to have wisdom. No. He says, anyone who asks. But how do we receive this wisdom, you might be asking? What does it look like to get the wisdom of God? And a story came to my mind this past week, and I'd like to share it with you, is that there's a little boy and his family. They go on vacation to the beach, and it's the first time they've ever been to the ocean. They live in Kansas, okay? Ain't no ocean in Kansas. So they go to the beach, and they're there, and this boy, all he wants to do, all he's ever dreamed of doing is building a legitimate sandcastle by the ocean. 
That's his dream. With the tall towers and the walls and the moat, he's so excited. So he builds this castle by the beach. He completes his castle. The moat is dug, and now he just is ready to fill it with water. So he goes to his mom and dad's cooler, pulls out the bottles of water, goes over, opens the bottles of water, dumps it into the moat. But what he doesn't realize is just how porous the sand is and just how much water it takes to fill this ginormous moat that he built for his castle. He runs out of water. So then he starts going around to other beachgoers and asking them for their bottles of water. Some give them their bottles of water, but then the father starts realizing what's happening. Right? He's going and taking everyone's bottled water for the beach that day. He's like, instead of the ocean? <laughs> so he's like, okay, son, come here. We're going to have a little talk here. What are you doing? Why are you taking all these bottles of water when you can just take your pail? Okay, he's just trying to help connect the dots here. You know, go to the ocean, limitless water. And his son says this, but dad, I don't want to get wet. Okay. You don't want to get wet. Well, I think there's a very close comparison to the God's wisdom and this story. Is that the boy was feet away from limitless water. All he had to do was just wade out to his ankles to get a, a bucket full of water and do that several times and his moat would have been filled, right? It would have been done. It would have been good. But instead, his, his desire to not get wet kept him from that limitless water. See, I think in order for us to capture the limitless wisdom of God, for one, we need to stop asking other people for their limited wisdom, and we need to go to the limited, the unlimited wisdom that is found in the ocean of God's word. And this is why I think it's so important to pray for wisdom with our Bibles open because one commentator put it this way, after we pray for wisdom, don't just stop there, but go to God's word and seek the answer to the problem. See, when we're praying and we're stopping and we're asking God, give me this wisdom to go through this trial that, we may, that I may thrive through this trial, that I may um, know how to respond and that I may thrive, then we are... We need to then go to the answer. We need to then go to God's word to be able to find that wisdom, that limitless wisdom that God has indeed given to us. And then the commentator also said, once you've done that, go, you can go to other people. But don't ask for their wisdom, but go to other people and ask what God's word has shown them. You're basically asking other people, hey, bring your bucket in with me. Let us all walk into the ocean of limitless wisdom together. Draw from it and bring it back, and come up with an answer. We need to pray for God's wisdom with our Bibles open because we can see and trust in God's character. Look what it says in the latter part of verse 5. It says, Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. And here we see two very distinct characteristics of how God gives generously. See, God loves, if this is Halloween, God loves to give full-size candy bars to those who, who come to knocking to his door, okay? He's not there with, like, here's a little smarty, enjoy. No, he wants to give the full measure. He wants us to give us, he wants to fill our bucket right there. 
That's, that's, that's the generosity of God. I mean, if you have read through God's word, you see that it is just overflowing with pages of God's just generosity that we didn't deserve and his love for people. I always love in Genesis, there are like chapters dedicated to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And you know what he talks about? You know how he created the stars? You know what's said about them that we're still trying to figure out and learn about? He just says, and he made the stars also. But he has chapters written about his children. That's, that's the heart of God. And if I were to define wisdom that we can seek and that we can find in God's word, if I were to give a general one, I'd say wisdom is knowledge correctly applied. Wisdom is knowledge correctly applied. But there's a lot of wisdom out there, guys. There's a lot. And it's different than the wisdom that God has. Because, for instance, there's wisdom of um, personal experience, right? Stuff that we experience and we've learned and we have the knowledge of, and now we have wisdom how to apply it. And I kind of think of it this way. I'll give you a couple of my wisdoms that I've learned over the ages. Okay, As a teenager, I learned, do not invent parking lot skiing. Okay, you, It's like water skiing. Okay, I thought it was a great idea in my mind. It's like water skiing, but instead of a boat, you have a bike, and instead of skis, you have rollerblades. The only thing that is the same is the rope between my bike seat and my brother. <laughs> Thankfully, I was on the smart end of the, <laughs> of the idea. It was my idea. Unfortunately, it did not end well for my brother. Hospital trips were made. Yeah, don't do that. Or maybe a Father's Day wisdom for you. If you have young kids in the house, I learned this. Um, when your six-month-old starts eating, you know, baby food, don't eat a bowl of ice cream while you're feeding your six-month-old. Because this is typically what happened to me. I don't know if this happened to you, but it's like, one for you, one for me. Oh, moose tracks, I love it. One for you, one for me. It's like always, it's never like mango either. It's like the chicken and the, the string beans or lima beans. It's like gross stuff. It's like, that is not moose tracks. <laughs> and I think all of you can relate. Just about any time somebody says, hey, watch this, you know some wisdom is about ready to be dropped. <laughs> Truth of the matter is we all experience personal wisdom through experience. The world also promotes that it has a refined wisdom but this refined wisdom is always changing, right? It's always changing with the year, or the time, or the culture, or the majority at that time. But that is not wisdom. God's wisdom never changes. It's not based on the year. It's not based on culture. It's not based on the trial. It remains the same because the author is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. James says this a little bit later in verse 17. He says, see the gift of God. See the gracious character of God. He says this in James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Wisdom is good. God's wisdom is the best. And it doesn't change or expire. This is why I like Tony Evans' definition of godly wisdom. He says this. He says, wisdom is the ability to apply spiritual truths to life's circumstances. Our ability to take this and what God's word says 
and we apply its truths to our circumstances, to our trials, to our life. See, God's wisdom is sufficient. His treasure is valuable for any trial that we face. Dealing with relationships, finances, decision-making, child-raising, occupation, education, vacation, any shun, anything, God's wisdom, I'm making up stuff there, but I'm sorry. You get it. God's wisdom, it encompasses all of it. It encompasses all of it. And I love the second part. is God gives wisdom without reproach. And then what this means is God gives it with, without giving us, like, writing us about it, about our past ignorance or even stupidity. Because James 4, 6 also says, but he gives more grace. Amen. God gives more grace. There it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. See, what it's saying is no one can outgive God. Doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter where you've been, but God gives more grace. He gives more wisdom. We just have to come humbly. We just can't come with our own ideas of like, no, God, I'm going to tell you one. It doesn't work that way. So the first key to unlocking the treasure of wisdom is praying to God for wisdom with our Bibles open. But the second is this, is to pray to God in faith with our hands open. What do you mean by that? Okay, well, let's look at it. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. It says to pray in faith. What does that look like? Well, to be honest, faith is hard, right? Because we are creatures that survive by our senses. Um, we, we, we tend to lean on them pretty heavily. What we can see, what we can hear, what we can touch, what we can smell, what we can feel. But here are a few verses that help us understand faith and the importance they play in allowing us to thrive and not just survive. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Romans 10.17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of, God, word of Christ. So what we see here is that faith is built on the evidences of God's promises. And it is fostered by the hearing of God's word. Trials are meant to bring us back to a foundation that is not gripped on something that is easy, something that is more difficult, something we do not have yet, but it is something that is nonetheless there, the foundation that we stand on. And when we come back to that, we are in faith, trusting God to supply and have our hands open. We are, as a, on Father's Day, we are praying and we are asking in faith, God, give us this wisdom, and we have our hands open anticipating that he will indeed give the wisdom that we need for that circumstance, for that trial, for what we face. When I was preparing for this, one story came to mind from my life and actually from my dad. Um, I got to see faith put into practice in his life. Um, and when he was in his late 30s, he felt called into full-time ministry. He was a successful businessman and, and was involved in a lot of stuff. And his dream job he already had, but he felt called 
into full-time ministry to become a pastor. But he, in the faith that he had at that time, this is what, how he prayed. <laughs> he said, God, make it ridiculous. Make it ridiculous because it is so easy for me to miss it, your desire for my life, your direction for me. God, you need to make this ridiculous. Is this actually where you want me to go? And I don't have the time to be able to share all the stories, how God gave yes or no ridiculous answers. That way my dad wouldn't miss it. The moments where our house sold faster than we could ever have imagined in a, in a poor market. Or the fact that our church saw the, the, the potential in my dad and were praying with him, and they, they, they gave us a car a brand new car for, for the work of the ministry and, and to be able to move up here to NEPA so that we could attend, so my dad could attend Baptist Bible College at the time. And how God supplied jobs and how God supplied funds and how God said yes in ridiculous ways. And also I look at it and say, and we were able to find Grace Bible Church here some 18 years ago. And it's just mind-blowing to me to see what praying in faith looks like and how it blesses those who have their hands open, so to speak, ready to receive wisdom from God. But then James wraps up with this saying. He says, don't doubt. For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. James gives a very clear picture here, and this is one of the reasons I love the book of James is because all the illustrations, all the pictures that it brings. But it gives this picture of the open sea, and these waves rising and falling, and I, I mean, I'm sure you guys have seen footage of it. Not many of us are like going out in the ocean and sailing and that kind of stuff these days, but like to just see the waves, just, you know, 70 feet high, these waves, huge. And if you're a little sailboat or if you're a little boat, you're, you're toast, right? It's like worst nightmare ever. He's saying this is the effect the wind has on the water. And what James is doing here is he's making this comparison. Wind has this force upon the water that creates waves. And there is a force out there that causes doubt. There is a force out there, and it, it could be this. It could be people's op opinions. It could be um, culture that is bringing about doubt into what God is saying. And James says, you need to be careful, church. You need to not fall into this. You need to not... Have doubt when you pray, because if you have doubt, then you cannot expect to receive anything from the Lord. And you will become unstable. James uses the word double-minded, which means like two-souled or like a split personality. And the point that he's trying to make is you can't go two directions at the same time. How many of you guys have ever seen video or maybe personally experienced a person walking their dog on a leash? And it's like the person stops and is talking or enjoying the day or whatever to somebody. And, and then all of a sudden the dog sees a bunny rabbit over in the corner and decides that it wants to have a taste of the bunny rabbit. And launches itself at this bunny rabbit or just runs at something else. What happens? Dislocated shoulder and sometimes the guy gets drugged across the yard, right? It's that, it's that picture that comes to mind here and that James is trying to communicate is that 
there are two minds attached to each other. To be double-minded, you can't go two different directions at the same time. You will not accomplish anything. And it will just be a waste. So James doesn't want his church to go through this, to be tossed and to be unstable. He wants them to receive this gift of wisdom. So again, wisdom is God's gift for us to become spiritually mature. That wisdom is a gift, one that we need to choose and receive. One evening, um, a couple weeks ago, we sat down for dinner as a family, and dinner was not going well. I don't know if you guys ever experienced that. Food was great, sorry. Dana's food is amazing. So dinner was going great that way. Kids' attitudes, not so much. And so halfway through the meal, I decided, okay, we're going to play a game. Would you rather? All right. Would you rather be able to fly, or would you rather be able to swim underwater and you know, be able to breathe underwater like a mermaid? Okay? And they just loved it. They just dug into this idea that they had a choice and something sometimes ridiculous or sometimes real, but they just loved that they had a choice, which I just love it because they think I invented the game and they think I'm great. I invent all kinds of games for them, so that uh, I've learned over the years. <laughs> but they were just thrilled to have a choice and just to talk about why they would like to choose that thing. And I think uh, in this case, God, in all the trials we face, God is giving us this choice. He's giving us this opportunity to choose wisdom rather than the trials that we face, rather than trying to figure it out our own, rather than trying to get somebody else's wisdom. He wants us to have the best wisdom. One of the wisest men who ever lived in the Bible, his name was King Solomon. And how he got that wise was he asked God. God gave him that wisdom. And you can read about it in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 4, or chapter 3 and 4. But he was given that wisdom, and the, and, and the people from foreign lands would come from everywhere to come and hear him speak. His breadth of knowledge and aptitude and skill and perception was extraordinary in every area. And because of this, Solomon brought prosperity and glory to Israel. But in later years, he would choose to abandon God's wisdom and pursue the passions of the world only in late life to come back to God's wisdom and realize his full, the full worth and value of it. Solomon wrote most of Proverbs, and this is a verse that he wrote. He said, how much better to get wisdom than gold? To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. So today we've discovered two keys to discovering wisdom. And I left it vague for that reason, is because there's so much wisdom found in God's word but the treasure is there. And we get it by praying to God for wisdom with our Bibles open. We need to pray first, church. We need to go to God first instead of having him as a last resort. But to seek his word, to look at his word, maybe to ask other people, where should I look in God's word to find the answers to this situation that I'm going through? But then also to pray in faith with our hands, so to speak, open trusting that God would indeed provide. Because the character of God is that he is generous and that he is good and wants to provide for us. So we need to pray in faith. Maybe you need to pray that prayer, Lord, make it ridiculous so that I don't miss it. 
But then the other thing I would like to say is remove those influences that are infecting you with doubt, whether it's the TV, whether it's your neighbor, whether it's your friends, whether it's your culture. But be willing to stop those voices that are afflicting waves upon your soul. So would you rather have wisdom or would you rather have waves? Let me pray. God, I'm just so thankful again for your word and for James and how he wrote in such a way that brought about a charge to this people. Lord, to seek you first, to pray for wisdom, to seek it out in your word, to trust you in your character, Lord, that you are so good to us. And I also love what you are doing in and through us that we are your workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that, may, that we may walk in them. So God, I pray for us as we go through different trials, as we go through different struggles through life, God, that your power is perfect, that your plan is even better. Lord, you love us with a love that we can't even comprehend or understand. But God, I pray that we would turn to you, not just in trial, but each and every day, and I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.